Hello, and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Escaros. We are back in the Women of the Bible series after taking a brief break for a Lanyap Extra Special Edition last week. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you just one vignette from the life of Evangeline French, or Eva French for short, and her work in China. Eva French worked with another missionary, her name was Mildred Cable, and also with her own sister, Francesca French, and the three of them became known as the trio. They traveled throughout China sharing the gospel, and of course, they had many, many stories as a result of their experiences. But in the early days of their work together, Eva French and Mildred Cable came under much fire from the local church in one region in China. The main complaint in that area was that they had to leave several churches in the area for far too long between their visits because uh, Mildred and Eva had to travel on missionary journeys for a long period of time to other parts of China to share the gospel. And as you might imagine, in the 1800s, traveling wasn't quick, right? So it would take a while for them to go to these other regions and come back and check on the churches. And so some of the Christians in certain areas had harsh things to say of Eva French and Mildred Cable when they would return from their travels. For example, here are some of the things that were said of them. Why did you take so long to come back to us? We sent you word that your house was ready for you to move back in, but you did not come back, even though we sent word. It is a case of clear neglect. You're not interested in us. You visited other homes, but not ours. We thought you had been appointed as our missionaries, but you care for everyone else but us. Sound familiar? Uh, We can all get sort of criticism like that from people who feel like we're not tending to their needs, especially if we're called to ministry. But the worst criticism came from a man named Mr. Cheng. He was a longtime believer who came to their house and really laid into both of them one evening. He said something like this. This is recorded in one of their biographies. Are you aware that I have been a Christian for 12 years? This is Mr. Cheng talking. And I am known far and wide by Chinese and foreigners alike. This guy isn't struggling with pride or anything, right? You must be aware that during the last three months, we have been as sheep without a shepherd, left to be preyed upon by wolves with no one to care for us. Our homes have been unvisited and members of our church who have stopped coming have not been inquired about. That is why our church numbers are down to 30 people. So Eva French was very calm and she asked him, she said, so you say you've been a member of the church for 12 years. He answered, nearly 13. She answered him, then you are no longer a new Christian. You yourself should be able to see to the lost and help us take up the responsibilities of the new work here in the church. To which, of course, Mr. Cheng just about blew a gasket, okay? He said, then go to Qiancheng, which is another region, and leave us alone. You two are a couple of youngsters who know nothing. I mean, he just about lost his mind. He ran out. He actually went into the square opposite their home and started banging a gong and calling out epithets and all kinds of curses down against the two missionary women. Now, of course, Mildred, who was the younger of the two missionaries and the less experienced, she was deeply concerned about what was going down. She was wondering how they could appease him, how they could smooth it over, make him feel better. Eva French, on the other hand, was very calm. She's like pouring tea for Mildred. 
She simply told Mildred Cable that they couldn't allow a few grumpy old men to dictate what God had called them to do. She explained to Mildred in no uncertain terms, we answer to God and not to men. She said, look at the Apostle Paul. Wherever he visited, the people wanted him to stay, but he had to move on. We have a large area to cover, and local Christians need to learn to trust God, and over time, the issue will work out. God will handle the misunderstanding, and their job is simply to remain faithful to the calling that God had for them. So that's precisely actually what God did. Mildred and Eva, they kept faithful to their calling, and he did work out the Mr. Chengs in their lives and countless others like him. It was remarkable. Her faith, Eva's faith and steadiness in the Lord and to her calling. She was unmoved. She was unshaken by the misunderstandings and the abrasions and the miscommunications. Now, we as believers, we do our best to walk in love, to express ourselves lovingly and carefully, but ultimately, we need to be faithful to the calling, putting God first, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, doing conflict the way he tells us, to speak the truth in love, to not be afraid to express ourselves, and letting him see to the rest, letting him see to the rest. And that's a main lesson that we're actually going to learn on our two women of the Bible that we're covering now. And that's Mary and Martha of Bethany. So turn with me to Luke 10, 38 through 42. They are featured in several passages of scripture. So we have some ground to cover, but Luke 10, 38 through 42 is where we will begin. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, I love this so much. I know it's a very familiar story to many of you. Martha is most likely the oldest and the host, because in verse 38, it says Martha welcomed him into her house. So usually when it's the oldest, she's named first. And it's likely that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, their brother, could be affluent to have their own home. They may be orphans, but older, and so they're living alone in Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem, if we want to set the scene here. But I want to quickly draw five lessons from Martha and Mary here, and what we can do to apply those lessons to our own life. First of all, hospitality is being practiced and practiced well here in the home of Martha and Mary. Before we pick Martha apart, poor Martha, let's remember, this is a place where Jesus and people are welcomed. And I love that the root term for hospitality is hospital. The term hospital basically means guest or stranger. Hospitals treat sick guests. So the church is a hospital. Wherever we gather, whatever state you are in, your church is a hospital for the sick. It is not a social club, beloved. It is not a place where you're just merely hanging out with your friends. If people come in that don't look like you, dress like you, smell like you, act like you, remember, the church is a hospital for the sick. 
That is how God designed it. It is the sick that need a physician and not those who are well. So Martha clearly has this gift of hospitality. And that's a question I want us to consider. Are we prone to hospitality? We have talked about this several times on the program. Hospitality is really a matter of heart. It's a posture of our heart. It's welcoming Jesus and people. We don't need a home out of a magazine. We don't have to have the perfect color schemes. Our house doesn't have to be particularly clean and tidy. We don't even need to have a house. We can meet people out for coffee. We can talk to someone in church and be so hospitable in our spirit that we make them feel like they're the only person in the room. I think that's a reason why we might be afraid to show more hospitality is really the point I'm about to raise. Point number two, while Mary sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word, verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. Hospitality can become a problem because we associate it with a lot of work. All right. Can we all be just plain old honest when we're like, oh, do I want to invite people over because then I have to clean and I have to cook and oh, because we set these ridiculous standards, right? Trust me, I'm talking to myself. My kids all know. It doesn't matter if I'm having people over for a barbecue. I literally have my girls clean their rooms, even though we're having a barbecue. Like They go, who's coming in my room? <laughs> but distracted here, the term used of Martha means to drag all around to be driven about mentally, driven to the point of distraction, okay? So it is possible to take a good godly thing like hospitality and turn it into something that's really not so good when we become so perfectionist about it. Even when ministry becomes the goal itself as opposed to the one to whom we minister, something good like ministry can become a problem. Now, not only is Martha distracted here, look at what Jesus says to her in verse 41. You are worried and troubled about many things. Okay, I love Jesus and how he gets to the heart of the matter. Worried is the term for anxious. Troubled is the term for disquieted. How well does Jesus know her and know us thousands of years later when the word anxiety governs life? in 2023. Can I get a witness? Every one of us is anxious. And he's saying worried, which literally means anxious. What causes so much of our anxiety? Look at what he says. You are worried and troubled about many things. See, it's a focus that's so broadly divided. We are so anxious because we are overwhelmed by the volume of things. There's money and kids and marriages and relationships and school and health. There's never-ending supply of a heart that is divided over many, many, many things. And it's amazing, though, because I feel like in the same moment that he's asking her this question, Jesus is suggesting the solution to all of our anxiety here as well. The matter isn't about not serving or not having a lot to do. That's really unavoidable, okay? Us saying, oh, we have to not be busy. I feel like that's almost not realistic. When people say that to me, I kind of like blink at them. I get that flinty look in my eyeballs. Like, how can you not be busy when you have six kids and a household and a job and, a, and ministry? Like, 
that's not really realistic. I think the issue Jesus is trying to point out is priority. What is it that you do first? What is the main thing? It's not about not having a lot of things. It's what is the main thing? He's saying one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. Psalm 27.4 puts it this way, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. It is about having the first things first. The main things, the main things. And I, I want to actually testify of this. Of my life, right now, today, I woke up overwhelmed. Anyone do that? Can I get a witness? I'm raising my hands here in my recording studio. Anybody wake up just like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this today? I have so much to do. I woke up like that. And I had even told my girlfriend, I texted her and I said, yeah, I'm really, oof. And she texted me such a good word first thing in the morning. Okay. I just love it when people send me the word of God. You want to encourage me, send me the word of God every day of the week. She sent me Psalm 28, 6 and 9. She said this, Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices. And with my song, I will praise him. So she helped me adjust my heart early in the day. Then I start about the insanity that was today. And I am trying very hard to structure my days. I put my family's needs first on a daily basis as much as I can and my lupus allows, right? I try to put their needs first. So I'm typically trying to consider, okay, like what's the food situation? What's the grocery situation? What's the rides to things? Is dad taking them? You know, my husband is super great about taking them to a lot of their afternoon activities. I try to take them to their daytime morning activities. So so we try to work all of those things out. I'm even trying to structure my days into blocks of time. I'm giving, you know, an hour to this and two hours to that. In the middle of all of that, I go into the pantry to organize what I am preparing for food. And one of my children, God bless my children, decided to put an open bag of Skittles Somehow, in the middle of the pantry where I am pulling ingredients out for dinner tonight, and of course that open bag of Skittles upends, and have you ever heard Skittles go skedaddling all over the floor, all over tile flooring? And it, they must have only eaten one Skittle out of that stinking bag because the entire bag goes all over the floor. And you know, I'm watching it like it's in slow motion. <laughs> I have an armful of like ingredients for dinner and I'm looking down going, this is not happening to me today. But to add the insult to the injury, my husband's so sweet to me. He's like, I'll help you clean it up. Don't worry about it. I walk over to the kitchen to pull out the vegetables that I need for the recipe I'm making. And I open the drawer in, and somehow... Uh, my children, I love my children, God bless them. They had put a bottle of iced tea that was not closed properly on its side. And no, I, I use the Northeast term. Let me correct myself. It's not iced tea. It is sweet tea in Southeast Louisiana and the Deep South. Emphasis on sweet, y'all, sweet. On its side, 
Can you please imagine what transpired inside my refrigerator? There is sweet tea all over the shelf and the drawer and the drawer underneath that. And emphasis on sweet meaning the sticky, gooey, refrigerated mass that has transpired. And so the Skittles plus the sweet tea uh, turned into this teacher of yours bursting into tears. I literally burst into tears and I was immediately reminded of what I am about to teach you. You are worried and troubled about many, many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. And remembering the words that my dear friend gave me early in the morning, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. So I had to actually leave it all and come in and just quiet my soul. Quiet my soul. Obviously, before I became like a ballistic missile in the generalized direction of my children. <laughs> So, so the the challenges of the day to day living were all. And look, that might be me in a mommy moment, but you might be facing a lot harder things. You might be facing things at work. You know, thousands, tens of thousand, million dollar decisions, far more important than skittles that are all over the floor, and you are just overwhelmed and worried and troubled. And the issue isn't you can't eliminate those worries, but focusing our hearts and centering first on the main thing, and remembering that in so doing we are helped. In being first Mary, then we can be the most effective Martha we need to be. Mary first, then Martha. And the third lesson here on Martha and Mary, uh, Martha gets herself into trouble with the many things, but also with this issue of comparison. I think Martha may have been fine until she compared her lot to Mary's. See, once we compare ourselves to other people, we're getting ourselves in trouble, right? I've said this so many times. We either condemn ourselves, we compare our greatest weakness to somebody else's greatest strength, and then we're like, oh, I'm useless. Or we do the opposite, and we get the self-righteous indignation. Like, Martha is assuming that Mary is lazy. See, comparison is going to get you into trouble. Comparison is a way to the bitter heart. We have talked about it many times. You're going to steer in the direction your eyes go. Martha's trouble starts with that comparison. The fourth lesson, you know something that Martha does right here? It's her prayer life. Think about it. She brings her frustration to Jesus, girls. Now, Obviously, she's complaining about her sister. She's kind of getting spicy with Jesus. Don't you care? But she's bringing it to Jesus. She's bringing her good, her bad, her ugly to Jesus. Instead of being in the kitchen, slamming the pots, flipping over the dishes, grumbling, grumbling, taking to the, you know, first century texting and telling all her girlfriends about what kind of a snot her sister is. <laughs> no, she shares her trouble. Obviously, she's mistakenly commanding him what to do. That's not what our prayer life should be. We're not supposed to command God what to do. 
Let's beware of that habit in our prayer life. But she brings it to Jesus. Can that be what we do with our hurts and our complaints? Lord, would you get my heart settled? Would you heal it? Because I'm watching this thing and it's hurting me. And the fifth lesson here that is so important is look at Jesus. He's not criticizing Martha. Instead, he's inviting her. He's saying, Martha, my my friend, come sit with me. Come sit where Mary is. It's an invitation to each of us to come and sit. But in this, Jesus again is challenging and elevating all women. Instead of just doing and cleaning and cooking and and serving the men, he's inviting the women to come and learn and think and sit and be one of the disciples. This is unheard of in the ancient world. So to sum this portion up about Martha and Mary, first being with him, and then and only then do we have the power to do for him. We had better not do before we be, okay? To use like a very awkwardly structured sentence, don't do before you be or before you are. Now, the second passage that I really want to look at with these two is, of course, John 11. And I know you know this raising of Lazarus. I'm going to read just a few select verses here. Um, I think it's important for us to understand here is the scene of Lazarus dying and, of course, Jesus raising him from the dead. Verse 1 in John 11 says this, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, it was that Mary who it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now we're going to read about that in the next section, okay? So it's sort of a foreshadowing. All right, John is giving you some foreshadowing. Therefore, the sisters sent to him saying, "Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick." Okay. Now skip down to verse 17. Jesus waits and allows Lazarus to die, of course. And so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. Oh my gosh. She professes him as Lord, as Christ. It's remarkable. Verse 28. And when she said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. 
Jesus wept, and the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Now, he goes on and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And one of the most important things I want you to note here is that these two sisters sent for Jesus while Lazarus was sick. They both are acting and running to the throne of grace, both of them. They run to him when he's sick. And then when he dies, Martha darts. She darts to Jesus. She comes boldly to the throne of grace again. Now, both sisters are very likely disappointed and deeply disappointed in Jesus. In verse 21, we see that Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And in verse 32, Mary says the same exact sentence. They're both disappointed in Jesus. Listen to me. What might we be disappointed about in God himself? Dare I say, do you feel like, God, why didn't you protect me from this thing? Why is my marriage so hard? Why are our finances, we're sticking to the budget, but our finances aren't getting better? Why am I still sick? Why is everything so hard? Can you think of people in the Bible who are disappointed? People whose lives didn't work out the way maybe they had hoped? I mean, think about Sarah all those years. She wanted that baby so much so that she took matters into her own hands. Imagine. Or Naomi. Her life didn't work out the way she wanted. She came back and called herself Mara. We studied these women. What about Job saying, I wish I had never been born? Disappointment is not a foreign concept in scripture. And see, in this case, of course, the delay in Jesus' coming was because there was a greater work about to transpire. Jesus knew he was going to resurrect, not really, it's a resuscitation, right? Because Lazarus ultimately is going to die again. That's why a lot of theologians want us to use the term resuscitation. He was dead. He resuscitates him. He's alive again, but not resurrected in the sense that he will never die again. But you get the idea. He knows he's going to do a much greater work. But remember, Mary and Martha don't know this. They're deeply disappointed. But listen, they bring that disappointment to Jesus. And when they do that, an aspect of his great character emerges. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I learned a great lesson from this for me personally. When they brought their disappointments to God, First of all, God could handle it. God was not like, oh, how could you say that to me? I am so offended. I'm never going to talk to you again. How could you? And just ice you out like some of your friends might do if you confront them about something. I can talk to God about the stuff that's hurting me and say, God, I'm really stuck here. I don't understand what you're doing. Would you help me? I'm stuck. But also, he reveals an aspect of himself in the middle of their hurt, he says, look at me. The answer isn't only like trying to speak into the disappointment. Some of the disappointments don't necessarily improve or improve right away. But he says, I am. Who am I supposed to say sent me? God says, I am who am. Maybe that's the most important lesson we're gleaning from Martha and Mary. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, I feel like Martha gets this moment where she's confessing who Jesus is long before the rest of the world even knows, maybe before most of his disciples know. And in this, I see this growth in Martha, okay? She goes from doing for Jesus to following him from a place of deep devotion. And in this portion, I think one of the greatest lessons I'm gleaning is when something terrible is happening, bring it to Jesus. They sent for him right away when their brother got sick. When their brother dies and they're disappointed, bring it to Jesus. That's what they did. They kept coming to Jesus. They didn't just say, you know what? I prayed when my brother was sick and it didn't work. So prayer doesn't work. No, they kept coming. Their brother died, but they came anyway. They ran to him anyway. But look, in coming to Jesus, they didn't just run to him and dump and just leave. They told him their disappointment, and then they listened. And when they listened, they got to learn who he was. I am the resurrection and the life. That's the lesson God gave me here. Coming into his presence in my hurts and speaking those hurts, but then listening to what he wants me to learn in it. I am the resurrection and the life. And I want to close with this last section. And this is so precious. It's in John 12. It's 1 through 8. And it's the scene where we see Mary taking the pound of costly oil and anointing the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair. Now, this is important. These eight verses that I'm encouraging you guys to read, this section of scripture is not the same person that's described in Luke chapter 7. Please, my students of the scripture, my beloved students on rinse and repeat, do not confuse the woman in Luke 7 with the one that's described in each of the other gospels. The woman in Luke 7 is the sinful woman and she is likely a prostitute. She is different than Mary of Bethany, okay? Mary of Bethany here is in the home of Simon, and this is not the same Simon that's Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7, all right? It's a different story. But I want you to notice very carefully, look at Mary. She's once more at the feet of Jesus, we see her again and again, Mary, at the feet of Jesus. In Luke 10, we see her sitting at Jesus' feet. In John 11, when her brother had died, she falls at Jesus' feet. And here in John 12, she's anointing Jesus' feet. Mary is one with that kind of a devotional life. Spurgeon put it this way, you must sit at his feet or you will never anoint them. He must pour his divine teaching into you or you will never pour out a precious ointment upon him. See, I genuinely feel like we often want this beautiful peace and wisdom to come out of us, but we very rarely want to take the time to sit and be with him. And I want you to know you can't fake it. You just can't fake it. 
And I just note the extravagance of her worship. That oil of spikenard, the expensive ointment, it was imported largely from India. And as Judas points out in this particular story, it was worth 300 denarii. It's almost a year's wages. And Mary's very best, right? Her most expensive possession is just suitable for Jesus's feet, okay? That's how great our God is. That's how worthy he is of our worship. But let me ask us that hard question. Do we count carefully what we give to God? Are we sort of miserly when it comes to things like our time, our money, our affection? Are we really protective of our stuff? Well, I don't know if I want to sign up to serve because what if I have something to do on that day? Is he getting our first? Is he getting our best Do we really appreciate how great our God is? Is he getting the first and best or is he getting our dregs? I guess that's really the question. And look in this passage at how other people react to Mary. See, this is a throwback to the story of Eva and Mildred at the beginning of the program. See, people criticized Mary for what she was doing. She gets criticized for wasting Judas and the disciples criticize her for wasting all of this money doing what she's doing. It seems like so extravagant. See, Mary bears under the criticism of her sister the first time. Aren't you going to tell her to get up and help me? Second time from Judas and the disciples for all of this worship, you're going to be misunderstood in God's house, even among God's people. Both of those sets of people should have known better, but in both instances, again, we see Jesus defending her, just like we saw with the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Remember I said when we come under attack from people, even the religious, even people who should know better, Jesus stands up for us. Jesus defends us when the accuser of the brethren comes knocking. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And I want to end with this thought. Mary's offering here, that oil of spikenard, that fragrant oil, it fills the house with fragrance. Every time you give this worship to God with this kind of abandon, when you love God this way, Every time you're with Jesus with this type of true depth of worship, you leave behind this kind of fragrance. People knew the disciples had been with Jesus in the book of Acts. And I'm wondering, do people know that about us as they did about Mary and Martha? Do they know that we've been with Jesus? Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Rinse and Repeat. Again, I'm your host, Carol Escoros. You can learn more about the program. You can catch up on episodes you may have missed. You can find out when I'll be in your area, read our reading plans, and get in touch with me and so much more through my website. It's caroliscaros.com. That's carol, E-S-K-A-R-O-S.com. And I also would love to especially encourage my listeners We are getting some exciting feedback and it's so important to us to hear from you. If you would take a moment to write to us through the website, again, caroliscaros.com, that feedback is precious to us. It helps us know where we are being heard and what type of impact the podcast is having. 
and also a great encouragement to you all to keep sharing rinse and repeat what a joy what a great great joy when you are sharing it and encouraging other people to tune in and for those of you who are new to the program i encourage you if you're catching it in its podcast form you can jump on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, wherever podcasts are heard and you can uh, jump down to the very very beginning we started in september of 2021 so you have plenty of podcasts to keep you busy if you have a long road trip or if you're exercising and you want something to catch up on binge listen you can hear the vision for the program i did a series on the names of god you can of course also hear my testimony in those beginning episodes and so 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 much more And again, I am excited for you to join me next time for our next episode of Rinse and Repeat.